Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to Dear Prudence once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio today is my good friend Noah Colwyn, and I'm very excited to introduce you all to one another. But first, I've recently received another update on what I believe is the only appropriate and effective way to date your boss. Because I get a lot of letters, you guys, about people who want to date their bosses. And um, I can't say that I've ever had a boss I really wanted to date. I can't say I've ever employed anyone I really wanted to date. But it seems to just be sweeping the nation. You guys get to work and all you think about is whether or not you can date your boss. Usually, it seems like the answer is no. Um, usually, people write into me with stories about their boss, and it does not sound like a great start. But the update I got was from somebody who had said, my boss gave me this look when we were out at a company dinner. And I think that means that she wants to be with me forever. And I responded with some skepticism, but essentially said, look, whatever the story between the two of you is, it's probably not going to be that you get together while she has like direct hiring and firing power over you. Like if she's really the one, it's probably uh, it's going to be at a different time in your life. And the guy finally wrote back and he said, you were right. I gave it a few months to see if my feelings would die down. They didn't. I got a different job with a great reference from my current uh, boss. And then we met up for dinner a couple of weeks later, confessed our feelings for one another, and now we're very happy together. And um, I would like to take total credit for that. That's on me. Um, that's 100% my thing. I will get to come to the wedding and give a toast. And everyone will have to like do that thing where they put me up on a chair and go, huzzah, um, as they like lift me towards the ceiling. Um, and I'm very excited about it. And that's it. That's the only way you can date your boss is to get another job and then go get dinner and say, by the way, do you love me too? So now that we all know that, uh, I want to jump right into introducing you all to Noah Colwyn, who is the technology editor of Vice News. One time, we saw a pigeon getting its head eaten off by a rat when we were on a walk together. Hello, Noah. Howdy. I just, I love thinking about such fond memories like that. I think about that so often. It felt so on the nose. It was like, we that, get it. That was... Was that the the time that we thought we saw a rat king after we saw what was it, like Jurassic? It was World? Jurassic World. We were walking around okay. Lake Merritt in Oakland, and it was nighttime. And I saw what I thought was like a black plastic bag from a liquor store on the road in front of us. And as we got closer, um, I realized it was a dead pigeon. And then as we got even closer, we saw the rat scurrying away with its head in its mouth into the bushes. See, uh, I think a, a hack would say that there was a metaphor in there. But I'm not a hack, so I'm not going to say that there was a metaphor. I'm just going to say that it was an incredible phenomenon to witness and that uh, I'm, I'm grateful for having encountered it with, with a dear friend. Uh, and I would say it was as good as Jurassic World, which is not, by the uh, way, a knock on Jurassic World. You know, I'm still thinking years, I guess, however, however long it was ago that we saw it, uh, that Dallas Price Howard was in heels the whole movie. She was in heels the whole movie, and neither of us were in heels even a little bit, which just reminds me of how much better Bryce Dallas Howard is than both of us. Absolutely. But I'm kind of looking forward to this, because my last couple of guests have been very responsible, practical people, and I feel like you and I have always brought out a really wonderful dirtbag energy in one another, and I think we'll be able to bring that sort of dirtbag energy to the questions. Well, let me put uh, my feet up on the table, suck on a vape pen, and uh, go through dispensing uh, wisdom 
uh, thinking about how the Trailer Park Boys would do it. Speaking of which, oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you this, and I have to tell you all this now. Uh, this weekend, I was at a coffee shop with a friend, and somebody walked in, and I immediately forgot everything I'd ever known, and all I could think about was how much I wanted to follow this person around for the rest of their life. It was this guy in a leather jacket who had a, an unlit cigarette between his lips, which, like, the last time you could smoke indoors anywhere was, what, 80 years ago? Forever ago. <laughs> no one just walks in with an... Un- and you could tell it had been between his lips for a while, like, the filter was getting damp and kind of falling off. But he was so committed to, I might need to start smoking this at any second. I do not have time to put it behind my ear. Um, and then he turned, and I saw that he was carrying a keytar. What the fuck? What? Yeah. So I just immediately wanted to dedicate the rest of my life to understanding him. He passed out of my life later that afternoon, but I miss him every day, and I would like to dedicate this episode to him. Uh, Kitar Man, if you're listening, uh, you should you should write to, to, to Dear Prudence. Please call me. I love you. <laughs> All right. So uh, the first letter, the subject line is just, Mom needs to step off, which is so often true. Dear Prudence, recently my eight-year-old daughter has started saying she wants to be a boy. Okay, not ideal, but I asked her why and her answer was simple. It's hot out and she wants to take her shirt off like the boys do. She's also happy to dress like a girl. She loves makeup, playing with dolls, crushing on the YouTube boys, so I'm not too worried about her gender identity and if she ends up being genderqueer, it won't be the end of the world. I want to be supportive, as the only parenting fail in my book is failing to be there when your kid needs you. My problem is with my mother. She's heard the I want to be a boy comments, and she's a fundamentalist. I don't want her blowing this out of proportion. Recently, she told me to, quote unquote, pray it away after I let my daughter play football. At this point, I feel like my daughter's biggest problem is people telling her she can't do things because she's a girl. I'm looking for advice on how to tell my mom to back off and stop telling my daughter not to do things that society says are for boys. Sure. I, I love the idea of praying away football. That's yeah, definitely I was, a new that one. Also, it sound, that sounds like a South Park gag. It does. It does. <laughs> it's like, oh, I, I just want to pray my daughter's football urges away. Yeah, um, which I think is definitely not in this woman's purview as a grandmother, right? Like, I think probably you and I are both going to be on the same page about this. Like, her, uh, yeah. her mom should not be saying this stuff to her kid. Yeah, I, I think, like, the question then is, like, how many expletives does does should this person use when talking with their mother about how much she should be stepping out of, uh, of, of like, or how much she should not be saying, Hey, listen, girl, don't play football. Uh, don't, don't exhibit any masculine traits. Like it's, it's obviously uh, a grandma problem. Yes. Yeah. And, and so, uh, I think you, your instincts, letter writer are, probably 100% spot on. Like your daughter does not need to get this messaging from her grandmother. Um, and also it's it's probably true uh, that she has a, at least for now, like stable gender identity as a girl. Like lots of people, lots of kids will talk about wanting to be a boy or wanting to be a girl. And that can mean a variety of different things. It can mean they're a tomboy or a tom girl. It can mean that there's like a possible trans identity. It could mean that they're gender nonconforming. Like, you know, it, it sounds like right now w- what your daughter is just expressing is a pretty like uh, low key desire to do some boy things. And and there's not more to it than that. And that's fine. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no reason for your mother to be worried about a like eight year old, playing football um yeah i I, I mean sorry go for it well just to to my mind like then the question then becomes like you know how forceful do you want to be with grandma and do you want to say hey look 
uh, if you are going to continue to blow this out of proportion against my wishes, then I'm going to have to limit the time that you two spend together. Or um, we're going to have to talk about what you can and can't say around her. Um, or, you know, as was the case with my grandma, my parents just let me spend a lot of time with her and then would, you know, provide appropriate context afterward and say, by the way, we love her because she's family, but also like take everything you heard with a grain of salt. And if you have any specific questions, feel free to ask us. That is super helpful, actually, I think, because, you know, periodically you'll get a letter like this where it's pretty clear that like the grandparent in question needs to have their time with the kid really seriously limited. And I think this is a situation that could kind of fall into a couple different possible camps, right? Um, Because depending on how intense the grandmother's being with the kid, it may not necessarily mean that, like, she can't see her ever. It might just mean this is a great opportunity for, like, when you, letter writer, hear her say something like you shouldn't play football to just say, absolutely, you can, and it's great. Mom, knock it off. And then... But not necessarily say you can't see my kid and then afterwards sort of check in with the daughter. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about like what that was like for you when you were a kid? Like, was it confusing? Did it feel pretty clear to you that your grandmother was an outlier? Well, it, I mean, at a certain age, definitely. Like probably when I was like eight or nine, you know, you get whiffs of it. But I think it was, it was when I was older that I, I think my parents sort of provided an appropriate context. And, you know, I love my grandmother. My parents love my my grandmother. I think it was just a real sort of like all right, this is part of growing up is that you are going to be in contact and you are going to have real life experiences with people whose views and attitudes are different from your own. And I think it's really important. And and I think my parents, you know, they weren't ever really this explicit about it, but I think that they kind of made it clear um, what about it wasn't, you know, to their taste and, 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 uh, and why if I ever felt frustrated or upset with something she did that um, like to understand the context in which it came, which is that uh, my grandma had a radically different life than I did and was a radically different kind of person for my parents. And, and that's just how it is. Um, again, it's, you know, I think it, it kind of comes down to the letter writer's judgment over is, is that contact con- contact by itself you know, super damaging to your kid. And, and, you know, that that's something I think for, for the letter writer to decide. But um, I think sort of like conditioning time is is the way that I would understand most people might think about how to deal with this if they can't just, you know, figure out like, a, all right, here's the context of this. But it seems like the letter writer is pretty explicitly asking how to address the grandma. And, and, right. and the first thing that just comes to my mind is like, all right, let's talk about conditioning time if you can't behave. Right. Yeah. And I think that's really fair. I think there are two conversations that need to be had. One is with the grandmother, and that needs to be just a really basic, hey, mom, uh, I'm not I'm really comfortable with my daughter playing football or being a tomboy or sometimes wearing boys clothes or anything along that line. Um, I'm comfortable with that and I need you to let it go. Uh, I don't believe that it's dangerous. I don't believe praying would be a useful response. I don't believe praying is a necessary response. Um, And you need to not hassle my kid about this. Um, And then the other conversation needs to be with your daughter of just saying like, hey, your grandma is pretty old fashioned uh, about what girls can and can't do. And I disagree with that. And I think uh, playing football is great. And, you know, whatever else is falling into that category, go for it. If you ever have questions about it, please feel free to tell me. Um, If your grandma's giving you a really hard time about it, let me know um, and I'll be happy to step up for you. Um, But yeah, just kind of doing that check-in with your kid of just saying like, yeah, you will occasionally run into people like this in your life. I believe that they're wrong. I think what you're doing is great and that will be helpful for your daughter in kind of figuring out how to deal with people like her grandmother. Yes, I, I agree. 
Good. Oh, well, I'm glad. I didn't think either of us were going to be like, yes, you should uh, pray that she never plays <laughs> yeah. football again. Yeah, just, uh, you know, get down on the knees, roll out the prayer mat, and, you know, just think real, real hard about the sins you've committed. I mean, if there's any concern about your daughter playing football, it would be the concussions, right? Like, yeah, that's I was going to general... say, like, if you really want, like, if grandma was at all savvy here, she would just play, you know, like, take her to see that Will Smith movie, Concussion. Yeah, but I feel like probably an eight-year-old is not playing tackle football. Uh, no. I don't think, I, I, also, I don't know a lot and... about football, but... And and I also think that the concern here isn't really about the yeah actually you know I was gonna say like the thing that I was concerned reading about this is like an eight year old wants to play football. <laughs> I have to imagine it was like a just like a flag game with a bunch of her little buddies outside. Yeah, or she like saw Rudy at a friend's house or something. Ah, oh, dang it! You know, kids, some kids are too young for Rudy. That's too much inspiration yeah. for Dude, an eight year old. Rudy was what turned my brother onto football. Is he okay now? I mean, he played college. I mean, he's fine now. He's he's happy and okay. and, and like f- sixteen years out from the last time he played a snap of tackle football, and he seems to be pretty good. So okay, good. Uh, knock on wood. <laughs> Glad to hear that. All right. Yeah. So uh, this next letter, I'm gonna have you read, and I need you to know this has been sitting in my inbox for months because I have gone back and forth on it so many times. So I'm really hoping that you will be the key that helps me unlock right. the answer. Uh, subject: cute or creepy? Dear Prudence. I'm in a loving relationship with a sweet but socially awkward guy. I'm his first boyfriend, but this is one of the best relationships I've ever had. Recently, I was going through the pictures in his phone and found that he had snapped some pictures of me when I wasn't looking. Candid photos from before we were even dating, as far back as a couple years ago. I showed him and he told me he had a crush on me for a while. Apparently, I helped him when he got lost once, which I don't even remember, and he was going through a difficult time in his life then, so my being nice had meant a lot to him. He was too shy to actually talk to me, and it was only by coincidence that I even noticed him and talked to him. Honestly, I was really moved when he told me this, but when I told my friends, they were creeped out. He took pictures of you for two years and stalked you on social media? What kind of creepy weirdo is he? But we live close together, he'd run into me because we went to the same coffee shop park, etc., and we've been dating for over a year and nothing about my boyfriend has made me feel threatened. My friends are all convinced I'm going to end up dead in a dumpster. It doesn't help that my boyfriend is anxious and shy around people he doesn't know very well, so my friends never really got to know him. I feel horrible for giving my friends the wrong impression, and I feel like I've betrayed my boyfriend's confidence by sharing the story. I thought it was sweet. I never would have told him otherwise. At the same time, all my friends are telling me my boyfriend is a creep and I'm seeing things through rose-colored glasses. I guess I need an objective opinion on this. Is this a red flag, or are my friends paranoid? Should I have stuck up for my boyfriend better? I talked about this with my boyfriend, and all it did was make him cry. I Yeah, I, everything about this letter makes me feel so sad for kind of everyone involved. Um, yeah, really. Um, I, I guess on the first point, like the photos thing, uh, I it's it doesn't sound that cre- like the, like like the difference between what his friends say is stalking and, and what this is uh, right. seems pretty substantial to me. Like like this is not stalking. Is it kind of creepy? Maybe, but if you found it endearing, then it doesn't matter. Right. I, like, I, it's uh, I guess what just kind of concerns me about the letter is the gap is is the gap between what the letter writer describes and what the friends perceive. Like something doesn't add up there, and I'm inclined to say, look, it just sounds like your friends don't have many friends with really poor social skills. Um, and on the other hand, it sounds like maybe there's something the letter writer is omitting that would lead friends, multiple friends, to this conclusion. Yeah, I um, there's definitely a breakdown in communication for sure. And so much of what I've been going back and forth on are two things. One of which is 
I feel like it would really help to know how many pictures there were and like <laughs> yes. what they're like. Like if it's, you know, five or six from before you guys started dating and it's sort of like across the way in a coffee shop and you're like on the phone, that falls into like awkward but could be potentially charming territory versus like if it's 20, 30, 40, 50 and a lot of them are you like thinking that you are kind of in private, that would feel different to me. But yeah, I, I, I don't I, know. And all I have is what the letter writer's perception is, which um, it, the letter writer does not think there were a lot or that it's creepy or that they were invasive. So I think kind of based on that, that's the one thing. The other thing that I've kind of gone back and forth on is like, would I feel differently if this were a male-female couple versus two guys. And I don't know. I, I keep thinking, like, am I being easier on him because they're both guys? Or, like, would I feel different if one of them was a woman? And I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess what, like, the thing that to me matters the most, because that, that thought of it, that, that definitely occurred to me when I initially read it, the thing that kind of matters to me is, you know, like, like, the letter writer doesn't seem that perturbed about it until someone else told him. And if the letter writer doesn't feel perturbed and he's never felt threatened in over a year with this person, then I have a hard time, believe, you know, like, barring the fact that the thing that we don't know, like, whether or not it's 50 pictures or five, uh, it, it just doesn't sound like this is that bad of a thing. And I right. can also more easily imagine a situation in which you, like the letter writer, correctly perceives that this is not that big of a deal, but friends being friends, you know, like like are like, oh no, that's creepy, that's creepy, and because they don't know this person um, or don't really have the opportunity to know this person, they like it just seems creepy because of that distance. Um, right. And and I'm curious too, like that your friends would say that he stalked you on social media versus I'm wondering, like, did he just follow you on? Instagram or Twitter and like ran into you in the coffee shop or did he like every week for a year engineer like being in your path I don't know I'm trying to think of like when I was in high school like uh, I would like sometimes like engineer my like walk to class to see somebody that I had a crush on or I thought was really cute and like that felt not stalking but like I can identify with that like certainly like I think we have all gone out of our way once or twice to see somebody we thought was cute, but there's definitely a point at which it crosses over into pretty intense territory. And I'm not sure where exactly that line is. Right. And, and to me, it's sort of like, it comes down to this person didn't perceive it as creepy. And it was only when people who didn't know, who don't know his boyfriend suggested that it was creepy, that it became an issue. So I, I I'm like not too hung up on, on whether or not it's creepy. I, I guess what's more concerning to me is that like, if multiple people have this perception and they don't know him, then, like, the thing it suggests to me is that, like, you know, if you really care about this person and he does have social, like, serious social awkwardness, this is probably not the only time or the first time that he's been in a situation like this where people have, like, grossly misperceived his behavior because they haven't had an opportunity to get to know him. Right. And if you're his partner and it's your friends and you want to maintain both these friendships and a serious, you know, private life with this person, then I guess I would, you know, try and, like, figure out what it would take to bridge that gap. Right. Um, and, and and that seems like, you know, like one of the the burdens of being in, a, in an adult relationship with somebody who needs this kind of help. Right. And, and I think, too, it also jumps out to me that I'm rereading that um, like their relationship started because the letter writer noticed him and talked to him. So, like, clearly it's not as if their relationship began because this guy, like, engineered a path into this guy's life and, like, pretended to be someone that the letter writer would like. Like, there's not that element of 
creepiness there. So, like, I feel like, yes, uh, I'm going to go with, I think the letter writer knows the relationship well. I think that they are right when they say that they feel very safe and comfortable. I'm going to trust their judgment there. I don't have any big, big red flags jumping up. So, with that in mind, yes, uh, it, it does make sense that your friends would be a little more skeptical than you because they don't know your boyfriend. And all like, basically all they know about him is that he took a lot of pictures of you and like tried to be where you would be sometimes before you guys started dating. So like if that's the only thing they know about him, I understand the skepticism. So I think your job gets to be revisiting that with these friends before you try to get everyone to know one another and make it really clear, like the, make, make the following really clear. Um, that you shared this story with them, not because any part of you feels threatened or unsafe or like this guy was obsessed with you, um, but because you were really flattered and you found it charming and you thought the pictures he took were not inappropriate, um, not invasive, um, and that you, you're, you're really happy, like to stress that. So like, I want to reassure you, I am well, this is a good relationship, I'm safe. Um, and then the next is, my boyfriend is socially awkward, and that's part of why you guys haven't gotten to meet each other and spend time together. Um, it's not because he's trying to, like, isolate me or keep me away from you guys. I would love for you guys to get to know him a little bit better. Would you be willing to give him a chance? Would you be willing to spend some time together with the two of us, knowing that he is a little—he's going to take a little while to come out of his shell? And hopefully your friends, when they hear you kind of explain it and put it into context and say, this is what I want from you, my friend, they will at least say like, yeah, I'm willing to give it a shot. Um, And then if that's the case, you can go to your boyfriend and say, I really want us to try again with my friends. I'm so sorry I shared that story with them. I did not know that that was going to be their response. They understand now they're not looking to like grill you. Would you be up for sometime all of us like doing something really like low key together for a couple, like two hours max, then we can go home and do something quiet. Um, I mean, the thing, the one thing that like is a little alarming to me in this is the, the thing at the end about how, when I try to talk with them about this is just, it makes them cry. Um, like if you can't have a conversation with them about this in like an adult fashion and in a way that's like presented non-threateningly, you know, without like any, like any, hint of malice or expectation um the, the, you know beyond like having a product like having a productive conversation and, and free exchange of feelings and ideas free exchange then, of ideas that's so yeah. socialist i love it uh well you know like, so so just you know to to, to refer back to, to karl marx no no um uh but it does like i, I think you do have to on, on some level really kind of like level and be like if i can't talk with him about right. this and it just makes him cry like that to me i'd be curious about how you talk about other things like right. how do you talk about like having a president who's like put us on the brink of nuclear annihilation like i don't know like it, it seems in general kind of a, a, a tough position to be in more broadly and i right. hope that you find can find a way to talk about this with your partner because involves him crying certainly like uh you know and I'm pro crying. Crying is fine. Um, but it, you say all he could do is cry. And like as much as this story is like certainly not definitively creepy, there's ways in which it can be charming. This also shouldn't be what defines his romantic future. Right. Like, I mean, hopefully you guys are very happy together and you stay together forever. But like this is his first relationship. So, you know. If in the future it doesn't work out between you guys and he goes on to have like a long adult life dating other people, this should not be how most of his relationships start out, right? Like, 
as charming as this might have been the first time around, I'm guessing you guys are both kind of young. Um, he should not be doing this at like 30 and 35, right? Like, so so the fact that he's still crying a lot about this suggests that maybe he does not have sufficient help for his social anxiety. Um, I don't know if he sees a therapist. I don't know if he sees a doctor. I don't know if he has ever tried medication. I don't know if he's ever tried, like, cognitive behavioral therapy um, or, or, like, uh, group therapy or, or support group. Like, you know, if, if he's at a point in his life where um, he can't discuss, like— managing his own social skills without crying every time, then he needs more help than a boyfriend can give him. Um, So maybe a separate conversation is, again, not like you're a bad person, you did something awful, you have to fix yourself so that my friends can like you, but like, hey, let's pay attention to this profound anxiety, this profound fear, this profound sense of, I can't talk about this, I'm going to break down and cry, um, and give it the, like, attention and support that it deserves. So I think that would also be a part of the conversation is to encourage your boyfriend to seek some sort of help for his social anxiety um, beyond just being in a romantic relationship with you. Agreed. Cool. All right. So this next letter is also about relationships and... Oh, this one was great because um, the letter writer just made it super clear what she thinks of the other side of the argument, right? Like, there's just, like, multiple sentences that make it incredibly clear how oh, yeah, dumb is, she thinks. It's, it's like, <laughs> it, it, it feels like her question at the end of this is, uh, so how do I negotiate this bullshit? Which, yeah, exactly. I feel you, man. I feel you. <laughs> good to know. Good to know that you're on the side of um, no bullshit. I I might be on the side of some of that bullshit, so uh, this might be fun. All right, so the subject of this one is just support. Dear Prudence, I'm a lesbian who's been in a committed relationship with Sarah for three years now. My mother and sister both know and support me, but the rest of the family has no idea we're dating. My grandparents are wealthy Trump supporters. Right now, my sister and I are the quote-unquote good grandchildren, meaning that we aren't coke fiends who have wrecked the family car. They are paying for my grad school and my sister's private school. My mom has always struggled to raise us alone. Sarah is the result of a lesbian mother and a gay father. Her two families are ridiculously cool, open, and supportive. Mine is not. Everything comes with strings. I love Sarah. I maybe want to marry Sarah someday. But in no way can I advertise our relationship until my 12-year-old sister is out of college. I refuse to fuck up her future for some raw, raw moment that is ultimately meaningless. I don't want to gamble her future on some Hallmark Channel sentiment from my grandparents. Sarah keeps fighting me on this because tagging me as her girlfriend in Facebook pictures is worth my sister's academic future. I am not ashamed of her. I am, however, realistic. I play the dutiful, sexless granddaughter devoted to science, and I don't have to kill myself with loans or worry about my mom and sister. We keep going around and around in circles. I am exhausted from talking about it. Am I nuts? A bad girlfriend? What should I do? I'll say this for this letter. Your contempt for your girlfriend's position shines through loud and clear. It's so clear. If you were worried, we weren't sure. You thought your girlfriend's like desire to not be in the closet is stupid and a direct attack on your sister's future. Like, don't worry. We get it. Uh, so now that we've cleared, now that we've like established the contempt that uh, the letter writer has for Sarah's position, um, 
I like I have a lot of questions. The first is the like the I love Sarah. I maybe want to marry Sarah someday, but in no way I advertise a relationship. It feels like she's kind of already sort of established, you know, which is more important for her when push comes to shove, like very, like, like it's very explicit, you know, what she'll choose if she has to. Right. And, and like, I want to say too, letter writer, I know I came off like pretty strong in the beginning. I think your position is very understandable. Um, I just don't think you need to um, diminish your girlfriend's position like this. Like what she wants isn't stupid. It's not idiotic. It's not meaningless. Um, and it's not about Hallmark Channel sentiment. So if nothing else, like just bear in mind that when you run into conflict in a romantic relationship, like dripping contempt is a bad way to go because it makes the person you're with feel like you think they're an idiot. And like kind of for good reason. You sound like you think your girlfriend's an idiot and that cannot make her feel good. You can disagree. You can disagree really strongly. You can ultimately decide that the two of you want something so different that you cannot continue to be together and all that's fine, but that's none of that requires the contempt that you are putting into this letter. The thing I, I guess kind of in here that also sort of like kind of frustrates me with the framing is this like kind of like binary approach. Either it's tell the grandparents or don't. I, I recognize the closet tends to be a binary, um, but the thing that I do think is perhaps possible here is also like, is there, you know, you have your Trump supporting grandparents won't ever accept this kind of relationship. Well, is there any possibility? What I would want to know, is there any possibility that you can introduce Sarah to them? Um, not initially as your girlfriend or in some fashion so that they're aware of the role that she plays in, in your life as a friend, even, or as, as somebody um, or, or gradually, get them to that position is there something that you could do on your end to, to, to kind of mitigate this um, right, and I, I don't i don't think the grandparents are even the point like the letter writer says it's like she thinks that tagging me as her girlfriend on facebook is worth all of this and i i have to wonder is that really all that sarah's asking <laughs> it's for? no that is so not obviously all like that's there like that's such a that's like such a way to it's such a it's very obvious she's diminishing right her girlfriend's concern and and i have to imagine I, I would be surprised if Sarah was saying what I really want is to get dinner every week with your grandparents and for them to just like love me. Like, is, is, is there something that she wants that would not necessarily compromise your sister's schooling? Um, like, does she want to be able to, you know, go out in public as a couple? Does she want to be able to tell her friends and her family that like, I, I, I don't know. You don't give us a lot of details about, um, what kind of restrictions you're putting on Sarah um, to uh, to to protect your sister's future? Which again, I totally understand. But like, also bear in mind, your sister is twelve. You're it's saying 12. I can't it's advertise our relationship until my twelve year old sister's years. out of college. That's a decade. So <laughs> like, you know, it's not advertising your relationship to tag your girlfriend in a picture on Facebook. It is your relationship. It's not advertising. That's pretty normal relationship (laughs) stuff. So if what you're saying to Sarah is you can't do that for a decade, I think you need to be prepared to accept um, that she may not be up for that. And if she's not, that doesn't make her a bad person. Um, It doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. Um, You're trying to be practical, but like, I I just have to feel like you've got options, right? Like, you know, are you friends with your grandparents on Facebook? Like, do you need to be? Um, are there other things that she wants that you can give her that you're willing to compromise about? Um, 
you know, also, are you... I, I got to say the Facebook thing, like there are a lot of really specific privacy settings that you can use. I use yeah. them all the time. There are many things I put on Facebook that I would not want people more than my grandparents not to see. I mean, my grandparents are, are also dead, you know, like Zikar and Livracha, but like the, 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 the thing that I do use is, you know, like I use these features, like, like it's, it's, it's a very, it's a technical problem that can be solved with like a, like a pretty minor technical solution. I think like embed, like underneath that, this issue of how you deal with your relationship, like this isn't like, you know, as Mallory said, it's not like a, it's not an argument of advertising relationship. I think that this is like very clearly something that has to be negotiated and it's not just going to be for this relationship, but if you and Sarah don't work out for other reasons, then it's going to be something that you're going to have to reckon with for the next decade. And you can't be the person who is right uh, for 10 years. And, and uh, like, uh, that's an untenable position. You have to figure right. out how to practically change things. Right. And for, for what it's worth, uh, I have been introduced to someone's grandparents as their granddaughter's friend when we were in fact dating. Uh, and it was one of the most uncomfortable weekends of my life. And I would never want to do that again. Just throwing that out there, that may actually not be a great solution. The entire time I felt like there was a like light bulb going up. up. I felt like I was a Sims character with like something flashing above my head that was just like, I'm actually like nailing your granddaughter, um, which is just a weird, horrible, awful thing to feel. So for whatever that's worth, in my experience, that's actually not a great compromise. But um, yeah, I, I would say, uh, number one, like, accept, believe, trust that your girlfriend is not being petty and stupid and trying to put your sister's future at risk when she says, I would like to be in an like openly acknowledged relationship with you. Uh, so that's number one. And just in the future, if you're going to fight with your partner, try to act in good faith. Try to assume they're not just being an idiot. Maybe they are, but like most of the time, they're doing their best, as are we all. Number two is ask Sarah, like, hey, so you know, as I do, that I have to be careful around my grandparents because they have a tendency to withdraw financial support based on behavior. Um, and it's really important to me that my little sister be able to go to college um, and not drown in loans and student debt. Um, what is important to you? Um, like, what are the things that you would want and need to feel like this was not a relationship where you were, like, closeted? Um, and just listen. And maybe some of the stuff she says, your first response will be, I can't do that. That's okay. You don't have to. But just, like, listen with an open mind to the things that she wants. And if they are so wildly, like, out of what you are able to do, then you guys can have a conversation of, hey, I love you, but it maybe looks like we want really different things out of a relationship and we're going to have to part ways. Or maybe you'll listen and say, okay, I can't do this or that, but I can do this. Like my goal is for you to feel loved and supported and not like I'm periodically throwing you in the backseat of my car and throwing a blanket over you and being like, duck. Um, and, and, and go from there. But yeah, have that conversation, have it with an open mind. Um, remember that she is not out to harm your sister. That is not like the terms upon which your relationship are based. Um, it is not girlfriend versus sister. Um, unless you try to make it that way. Seconded. Yeah. Um, good luck. Good luck. I think it will be a hard conversation to have. I think it will probably be one of many conversations and it may not have a perfect outcome, but if nothing else, I think it will help you figure out a better way to engage in conflict with people that you're dating. Okay, uh, let's jump to something that is a little bit less thorny and certainly is not going to take a decade to resolve. Will you read this next letter? Yes, I love this letter. Subject, table manners. 
Dear Prudence, My boyfriend and I have been dating for three years. He will be graduating in a few months and hopes to find a job in business consulting, a field I once worked in. The problem is that my boyfriend has bad table manners. It's not like anything out of a horror movie, but he'll do things like lick his knife or cut up a whole steak before eating it. Business meals are a big part of getting and keeping a consulting job, and I have seen multiple hiring managers roll their eyes or otherwise call out a dining faux pas during the interview process. I want my boyfriend to be successful in finding a job, but I also want to be a supportive boyfriend, not a career coach. I have never brought up table manners with him, even though I'm the kind of horrible person that will ask for a salad fork at dinner and long ago accepted to privately cringe and love the other things about him. Can I bring this up while staying in the boyfriend lane? I need a script for how to make this about being successful in his career and not about how he eats at home. So first, I got to say, I love how he's so specific about what he wants, which is I need a script for how Mm -hmm. to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And it's already he's like already arrived at what the morally just thing is here. And I agree with him. Um because this is a real dilemma, and it's and it's a, I think a really positive sign that he very clearly cares for supporting whatever decision, professional decision his boyfriend wants to make, while recognizing that like I see something that will handicap him, and I recognize right. that you know professional advice could jeopardize that. So, hats off to you, reader, for for doing that. Also, did um, you know that asking for a salad fork makes you a horrible person? Like, <laughs> I, I thought that was a completely neutral thing to do. I mean, like, so maybe the letter writer does have high standards, but you know what? It's he's also the person who used to work in this field. And I will defer to the letter writer on what the proper uh, yeah. eating practices are in business consulting. Um, and uh, and like what is the appropriate t- number of times to cut up a steak? Even as somebody who has, like, worked from home for the last four and a bit years now, like, uh, and has a pretty relaxed, like, approach to business dinners because I don't really go on many of them. But yeah, like <laughs> licking your knife and cutting up a whole steak, <laughs> which I'm sorry, is just hysterical to me because your steak uh, would get just... so cold. Exactly. The whole steak. A... Yeah, no, like absolutely. Like this is totally fair to bring up. They make salad forks. You shouldn't feel bad about them. It's not like you're asking for something imaginary. You're not being like, bring me the salad catapult. Like they make salad also, forks. Also, like do you really want to mix up like the dressing from your salad with your other foods? Like, I don't know. I understand some people like to keep their palates clean. I, sure. I respect it. I hear you. Um, but the, so I, I would say that like the, the first thing is like, you know, to start this with saying like, you know, for what it's worth, none of the, th- like, like, you know, start off and say, Hey, listen, I know you want to do this. Um, I love and support you and I want, and, and I want you to succeed. And so I want to give you a few advice that I learned from my experience. None of this are things that I care about that you do with me, but these are things perhaps to mind, you know, when you pursue this thing and then, you know, to, and, and to just like frame it with empathy. Um, yep. and, and if you feel that he is the kind of person who may not take to this, then that is perhaps a separate conversation, but you know, you partner, can you know you work with what you got and what you got is the ability to approach this with like empathy and kindness and and the ability to 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 say that none of these are things that that afflict you personally but that these are things that you know hiring managers may not respond to and that is okay because they are hiring managers and here's how you got to just deal with them yeah and you know the letter writer doesn't say like my boyfriend's super sensitive about this stuff so i would say absent any reason to believe that he would be yeah really aside from the fact that you wrote this in the first place. Like, that was you the just one sound thing very conscientious. Like, and yeah, and I exactly. think you're kind of like, oh, a boyfriend should never criticize your table manners. And like, I agree, you shouldn't like kick down the door and be like, you're a werewolf. Um, like that's not something you should do. But I think I think you can take it kind of casually. Like you can just say, like, hey, I feel a little goofy about this, but I think it will be helpful. Can I offer you a little advice? Uh like kind of ask, check in, because you know, um, 
you don't want to, you're not necessarily saying like, I know everything or like, you know, nothing. Like you're just saying, um, in my experience, uh, the standard for table manners in business consulting dinners is a lot higher than um, kind of average. And I've seen a lot of hiring managers get really persnickety about stuff. Um, and so to that end, um, don't lick your fork or don't lick your knife and don't cut up all your food at once. And like, here's a couple of basic rules, like, you know, put down your fork and knife in between every couple of bites uh, what's that weird thing about buttering bread? You're like only supposed to butter bread a bite at a time. That's probably like fancy, fancy food though, right? Not business food. Yeah. I'm, well, I mean, I, I would just sort of like, you know, I like one of the beautiful things about the internet is also that like there are tons and tons of guides and authorities on etiquette for appropriate settings right. that are like totally accessible and to which you can defer um, so that it doesn't seem like it's, you know, coming from you the boyfriend totally Um, yeah you can point to this is actually the standard it's not my personal like bugbear yeah because again i i don't care how many times you cut your steak right Um, yep and i think the best thing to do is just be clear like just open with "Uh, i'm a little worried about bringing this up with you because like i think you're great but i've seen this happen i don't want it to happen to you Um, and then just be direct like this is a situation where if you try to soften it or to sort of beat around the bush, it's actually just going to be slightly less helpful to him. So you should just rip off the bandaid and be like, don't look your knife. Although uh, I am like kind of, you know, like, like now, like now that we've like, we, we've like, you know, laid out what is like the good advice here. I am like kind of amused about like the idea of just like purposely giving him like terrible advice. Like, all right, like steak, the only condiment that should be allowed is ketchup. Well done. I'm just picturing when you, that scene where they eat in the cartoon Beauty and the Beast, and I think they're just eating like oatmeal, um, and he just like dips his like creepy bull face in it. Yeah. It's, uh, so this is, I mean, similar effect. Uh, you don't consume soup with a spoon. You you drink it from the bowl. I fully drink um, soup from the bowl. By the way, like, I mean, obviously it, not it, like at a business dinner where I'm trying to consult someone, but like I had soup last night. And well, no, I drank it's, it it's actually it's a, it's a sign of dominance when you just like. <laughs> take like a giant thing of ramen that's really, I really was spicy. dominating that soup exactly it's it's like a, it's a power sign yeah. um it's that's how it works that's business that's the business world well thank you for that business advice um i'm a businessman let's leave the field of business, um, business and go back to the world of bad sex um or oh. to the world of bad sex not back we haven't been there yet so Folks, i don't know the difference <laughs> Hey, <laughs> Noah Coleman will be here all week. Um, the subject of this is just bad lay. Dear Prudence, I unfortunately hooked up with a good friend's brother. Jane and I have been friends since college, and her brother Brad is anxious and socially awkward. Brad was a late bloomer, but we gelled on a nerd light level. Jane set us up. We shared similar interests and had a good time together at a comic book movie. I was slightly drunk and optimistic, so I invited him up. Big mistake. The sweaty-palmed fellow freshman I lost my virginity to was more responsive and receptive than Brad. It was bad with a capital B, even with actual instructions. I sent Brad home, and I ghosted him, telling him that it wasn't a good time for me to have a long-term relationship. Brad dropped the subject, but Jane didn't. She brought it up every time she could, often in front of other people, and did not accept my explanations of, we didn't click, or it just wasn't meant to be. Jane badgered me so much that I finally blurted out, your brother couldn't screw his way out of a paper bag. Jane then said that I should have given him a second chance, since he was such a good guy. I acknowledge that I was not the most diplomatic, 
but I stand by my response of, how many pity fucks do you think I need to give your brother before you approve of my giving up? It was needed horribly. Jane is not speaking to me and bad-mouthing me to everyone she can. I don't know what Brad thinks. I don't really care. I'm not a teacher or a saint. I don't think I need to flagellate myself over one bad night. My question is, how do I deal with Jane? Her big sister crusader bit has impacted my social life a lot, and I'm tired of dealing with it. Oh, boy. Okay, so there's so much in this letter, but what I want to start with is that is not what ghosting is. Like, yeah, that isn't what ghosting. Well, not only. Yeah. When you explain why you don't see the person, that's that's not ghosting. Yeah. You didn't ghost him. Uh, like you're in the clear for that one. You told him that you don't want to go out again. You did the thing you're supposed to do. Like and you gave a reason you like went you went above and beyond. Right. Um, and it sounds like, God, poor Brad. This has to be so embarrassing for him. Yeah, His really. sister is out here doing this on his behalf like oh my gosh I, yeah like, jane, jane what are you doing also i gotta say like you know I, I i like you know obviously the screw your his way out of a paper bag line was like you know a bit much but if, yeah. J- if jane was badgering her then like whatever uh it's yeah. like you know everybody blurts out stuff under stress and that's not that bad of a thing to blurt out it could have been worse right i i mean I, I again i don't ever recommend saying that just because it's you know it's unkind to the person in question even if someone is not good at sex with you even if it's after you know you gave them instructions it's not kind to like publicly blurt out that they were really bad in bed but i also understand like if someone's pressuring you so much and they're not accepting like a totally legitimate explanation getting to a point where you feel like the only thing that is going to stop you is saying something really socially inappropriate so uh again i I get where you were coming from with that um don't I, I would say definitely don't discuss his like behavior in bed any further because like Brad is so not the problem here, right? right. Like, and 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 Brad's to that fine. Point, I, also, I mean, aside from like, yeah, I was gonna say, and and to that point, I also think like you you don't you know you you don't like you're you're spot on in saying you don't really care what Brad thinks or no. Like that's that's not your obligation or your problem at the moment, as you correctly identify, letter writer. Um, it's how do you how, you know what what to do about Jane. Right. Because, yeah, I, I got to say, like, again, I, I really feel for Brad. Like, he did fine, aside, you know, aside from, like, he's not great at sex, which, like, fine. Lots of us aren't, especially our first handful of times. Like, he was great. You said no, and he 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 moved on. Um, but Jane, what the heck, man? Can you imagine? Yeah, By Jane. the way, no, I, I don't know how many siblings you have, but, like, I cannot imagine, like, trying to legislate or campaign on the behalf of one of my siblings, like, sex no, lives. No, no, no. I mean, I understand, like, you know, facilitating or enabling or, you know, being, like, a conscientious sibling. and Sure, if you think um, someone would make a good match. But, like, yeah, if like someone... It's, it's, like, not, like, advocating to a friend. Like, that's the other part of it is, like, this isn't to, like, you know, somebody you casually know who you think would be a good fit. Somebody who, you know, you consider a friend. The whole thing's weird. I mean... I think the practical issue of like, all right, Jane's not talking to you anymore. That's probably a good thing because I can't imagine somebody who does stuff, who pulls stuff like this is somebody you really want to keep around. But how do you clean up the wreckage? Right. Right. um, So I think you you get to kind of think through like, do you at all like I also I'm trying to imagine like what Jane is saying to your circle of friends that's making things difficult for you. I think your line moving forward with everyone else just needs to be, um, I went out with Brad. I didn't feel a connection. Um, Jane is not letting it go. I don't want to discuss it any further. Um, Anybody who hears that and thinks anything other than, wow, Jane's being really inappropriate 
is pretty unreasonable themselves. So I think that's just going to need to be your talking point, right? Like, especially if by comparison, if she is running around town being like, letter writer wouldn't sleep with my brother often enough. Like, you are going to look sane, reasonable, uh, normal by comparison if you just go with, yep, and, we went and, out and she won't let it go. Yeah. And, I, and you know, I would, I would, you know, talk with people, like start with folks who you think would be most receptive to that kind of, you know, calm, measured, here's what happened. I don't want to make a big thing about it. I just want it to die. Um, like, like start with people who might be receptive to that and sort of work from there. I also, you know, like to what Mallory said, like, you know, people probably already recognize that like, there's something a little off about this story. And so I wouldn't also like, you know, try and track down every single person who's heard it and, and, you know, make sure that they heard, you know, like the real truth, but instead, you know, just start with folks who, you know, think might be receptive to it, whom you already have a relationship with and who you can talk to about it. Cause you're absolutely right. Like you don't like, you don't deserve to have this, this bullshit dropped on your social life. This that's, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I just feel really strongly like no one should be going on a second date with someone that they're not really interested in and that Jane would think it would be okay to like that her brother would want to go out with someone who had to be bullied into going out with him. Like suggests that Jane's understanding of consent is not robust, which is <sighs> never great. So, yeah, I think for you, give Jane a wide berth. Like, again, what you said was not tremendously kind, but I don't think merits like an apology because no. what she did was so inappropriate that like and she it put you it. in a terrible position. Like yeah. asking you in front of other people, that's so not cool. <sighs> Yikes. So it's I'm uh, cringing constantly. Yeah, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, uh, actually, Brad, perhaps not so socially awkward. Uh, Jane, perhaps a great deal socially awkward um, <laughs> yes. needs to uh, find better strategies for dealing with people. Yeah. So I would say continue to give Jane a wide berth. Um, if she ever comes to her senses and wants to apologize, you can decide whether or not you want to hear it. Um, totally your call. And I think you need to just... Uh, move forward with your other friendships and just let it be known that you tried to go out with him. You didn't want to go out with it again. Jane wouldn't let it go. Um, and that you think it's really important to only go on dates with people that you want to go on dates with. Um, and that should take care of it with most people. If there's anyone who feels like you did owe Brad another date because his sister got mad at you, those are unreasonable people who will not be great friends to you. No. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah. And if she's like going around spreading a lot of misinformation, like... I don't know what she's saying, but who knows what version of the story she's telling. Feel free to correct it. Like, if you hear any details where you're like, that never happened, um, you can absolutely say, like, that never yeah. happened. And, and I would just kind of stress the, like, you know, don't do a Facebook post thing about this and, like, oh, God. And, like, no. like, like, you know, deal with this in one fell swoop because that'll probably just backfire and really stick with the, like, you know, calm, reasoned, private conversation meant to yes. put it to bed. Yes. Never put anything in writing. No, 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 exactly. Never put any of this shit in writing. Yeah. Give her a wide, wide berth. Um, I think it's a, a, yeah, yeah. And just deal with her by like not interacting with her, correcting the story and then saying, I don't want to like endlessly talk about this. Um, It didn't work out. Let's move on. (laughs) Yes. Woo. All right. Uh, No, I'm very excited that you're here for this one. Uh, My producer, by the way, when I sent over the questions was like, are you going to answer that one? And I was like, sure. Why not? Um. Because why not? Dear Prudence, 
there's this online advice column that I'm absolutely obsessed with. It's a must-read for me no matter what. My problem is that the site where this column is found has about 90% of its staff wanting to unionize, and the powers that be are opposing the idea. What makes the situation even more difficult is that the site fancies itself left-leaning and anti-Trump. I find myself not wanting to give a single click to the site until management wakes up. I normally don't support businesses that are hypocrites. However, I know that it may not help the staff themselves, and selfishly, I would miss out on some quality drama. Other than a heavily sarcastic, tongue-in-cheek submission asking about my dilemma, how can I make a difference here? Uh, So, full disclosure, I am a member of Writers Guild of America East, which is working to unionize the Slate newsroom, uh, or the Slate staff. Um, so I like that, that is like an obvious bias that I have on the table, uh, advice. We have a, the digital editorial, the news staff for the websites, like broadly, uh, the writers for vice news, uh, munchies, uh, noisy, et cetera. They're the writers are, um, covered under a union contract and there is an ongoing effort to unionize, uh, some of the video production and TV folks, uh, advice as well. Um, and vice has been pretty not that they've been pretty receptive to those efforts. Um, so, uh, what, what I think though is sort of most important is you, you, the letter writer, you, you get, you hit the nail on the head about the kind of like, like frustrating hypocrisy of these kinds of positions. But what I think is, is really critical is, 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 you know, to, to show solidarity with the staff. Um, fundamentally, if a group of people want to unionize and they exercise their rights and they have, you know, overwhelming support to do so, um, management opposition can become futile. A, a really good example of this that's happened recently was at Group 9 Media, which operates Thrillist uh, and, if, and the Dodo and, and some other digital properties. And their management did not respond uh, all that favorably initially and actually held uh, went a step further than Slate Group and held compulsory, like what are called captive meetings, to say a union's bad news. Um, and eventually they backed down because the staff wanted to unionize. They walked out, they, they made, they drew their lines clear. So I think you identify correctly, you know, like, arg, this is crap. This is bullshit. This is unfair. But the, the real pivotal thing about what you can do as a loyal reader is, you know, if you are on Twitter or on Facebook, like let other people know, show solidarity. Is there a hashtag they're using? These sound like small steps, but sort of illustrating that there are a, a, a consequences in the public eye for how management deals with this is what's really important because that's how you hold them accountable because and, yeah please sorry no, no i'm just curious too uh, in, in terms of like whether it's more useful to say something on social media versus like emailing management or sending like a letter to an editor and again this is like um something that could be true for any organization that you are a part of where workers are attempting to unionize. Like, I think this is a useful question just in general. Like, what can I do that's most useful is not reading a website or not like dealing with a business um, where workers are trying to unionize. Is that the best choice that I have or do I have other options? So I, I think the the first step is to, you know, like defer to the people who are who are unionizing and sort of, you know, email you know, you, you seem to have this advice columnist you really like. If you really want to know what to do, what I would do is email her and ask, hey, listen, you know, I want to show support, but I don't want to email, you know, an executive. And even if I think it's a really polite email, if it may end up backfiring. Because well, and for, for the, what it's worth, I'm not uh, an employee. I, I'm on a freelance contract. So uh, so I would then, you know, email an editor or a person you like, somebody who you expect is part of the group that's unionizing and who you may feel is sim- who, who's, who you know to be or, or, or you perceive to be sympathetic to this and ask what you can do. And I'm sure that they could give you an idea of what would be appropriate and desirable. 
Right. Um, what I think is a little bit, you know, where, where it gets a little bit tricky is, 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 you know, if, if you're to write an email or to do something to somebody and the staff doesn't know about it and it's like really aggressive, um, then it can backfire. Uh, even if it's not aggressive, but like, you know, somebody takes a line out of context or something that it could be perceived as that. And it can, you know, be, you know, end up being used as ammunition against the union or something. Um, it's, you know, it's I don't want to like say that that's inevitable and that's what's going to happen. But, you know, that's the possibility for it. Right. Uh, yeah. And it sounds like the possibility for that. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's really useful, especially because this person already sounds pretty like well informed about like uh, where the unionization sort of push is coming from. So, yeah, I think. Yeah. Find those people. Um, ask sincerely, like, what do you think is the most helpful thing that a reader can do? And, um, you know, you can also if there's something that's been on your mind um, about like letter to the editor, finding a hashtag, saying um, something on social media, whatever, like you can say, would this be useful to you? And if the answer is yes, then like do it. And that would be, I think, probably more yeah. effective than simply not reading. And and I think another thing is, you know, one of the things that's really helpful is, you know, when you coordinate with the workers and coordinate with the union itself, you can always accomplish a lot more. So like what happens if you get in touch? Let's say you want to write a letter, an email to somebody as a slate reader, you know, you have a lot of power. You can you 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 are you know that you are probably the kind of person uh, who management is nervously looking at when they're figuring out how to deal with this. And so, and so to my mind, the thing that you can do is, you know, you can talk with the union and say, hey, listen, I want to write a letter, but I want to write a letter that, you know, maximizes its impact. And so if I send this letter, you know, like, what, what, like, could you look at this and make sure it doesn't, you know, it wouldn't create any problems for you or something? Cause maybe they can amplify it. Maybe they can boost it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's, you know, like, like it's, it's showing solidarity is really, really important. And I think workers would respond really, really positively, writers and editors, uh, in knowing that their readers had their backs. Um, yeah. cause that's, that's sort of, I think what a lot of people in places that are working unionized kind of struggle with is the lack of feeling of support when management starts saying things like a union's not right for us. It's not right for you. And, 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 you know, like, like making sure that there is somebody saying, Hey, listen, I consume your content. I support you and I support your wishes. And I want to make that clear to the people who pay you to make stuff for people like me. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like just making sure that there is an equally loud and powerful voice for unionization. um, That's not just saying Lisa's dental plan. Sorry, if Lisa needs braces, (laughs) followed by dental plan. That's so embarrassing that I smashed the two together. Um, Yeah. Well, you know, or do it for her. Um. No, that's not nearly as good. And that wasn't the unionization episode. It was a totally <laughs> it different It wasn't. Episode. I just was trying to think. It's. I was just trying to think more of. Well, uh, wait. Was it classical? No, that's the. Oh, it's the. No, it's the strike. Um, classical wait, gas. The, yeah, that yeah. is. The, that is a union episode. Okay. Um, yes, okay. Thank classical you. Classical gas. Now do classical, classical gas. gas. Yes. Exactly. Um, you know that became a meme, right? Yes, Noah. I I am familiar with Simpsons memes. Okay, I'm just saying. I am. I'm sorry. I like that's what I get all offended about. I'm like, yeah, let's talk about unionization. Like, but then and I'm then, like, then how just like, dare you? Excuse me. But it is funny. These are like my memes. It is. It is funny. Like I saw that letter, and my first thought was like, oh, I'm I'm not allowed to publish that. And then I was like, where did I get that idea from? Like, <laughs> I, like no one has ever said that to me. It's just like a perception of like, oh, well, we're not allowed to talk about stuff like that, right? Like that's probably you can you can probably go to jail for that or something. Uh-oh. Yeah, I mean, I would say the other thing that's like, you know, really important also is that like, it's like one of the things that's like kind of hard with talking about like media unions and stuff like this is that it's really, really, you know, like before Gawker did it, 
before they were the first ones, you know, to go out and do it, people didn't really have an understanding of what sort of the tangible benefits of it might be. Right. And then Gawker got shut down. And, you know, you, letter writer, you seem very obviously like like in tune and, and, and understanding of the of, of, of the benefits of this kind of thing um, and of unionization for media workers. Um, but what I think is, is especially clear and what you can make known uh, in whatever you choose to do uh, and, you know, however you want to publicly address this uh, after, of course, speaking with with unionizing workers is, you know, like telegraphing, like, you know, like these are the benefits. These mm-hmm. are the things that like I understand why people need to do it. Um, because I think that there is like a lot of people may not really immediately understand that because it's like, Hey, you have like an air conditioned office and, and comfy chairs and you get to write about, like, you just get to write all day. You get to read stuff like, you know, like unions are for people who like work in coal mines or are janitors and stuff. And, you know, aside from like the classism of the, of, of that remark fundamentally, um, it's not that uncommon. And I think that there's like a really cool opportunity for you, dear reader, to explain and to articulate. no. Everybody can use a union because everybody deserves a voice. Right. Or even thinking of like for freelancers, there's uh, the National Writers Union, right, which like has made some serious victories in terms of like figuring out copyright privileges, which is something that's really important to freelance writers. Um, So there's a lot of work that has to do with um, like intellectual property um, and the rights to your own work that are really significant um, as writers. And obviously that's not always going to translate based on like. Uh, what kind of writing you're doing. But um, yeah, I think unions are important and necessary and um, like at the very least deserve people making a public push for them. So, you know, toot on, son. See, that was another Simpsons meme. (laughs) All right. Last question. We're ending with something that I think we'll just have an easy answer, um, which is going to be long answer, yes with an and, short answer, no with a but. Uh, Subject is just, should I ask out a former student? Dear Prudence, I've been teaching for a few years and up until now have never been attracted to any students. Congratulations. This past semester, I realized I wouldn't mind getting to know a particular male student. I've never acted on anything and I always treated him normally in class. To my knowledge, he doesn't know that I'm interested We're both around the same age, as I'm a young instructor, and he's an older student than most. The semester ended, but I wonder if there's any way to reach out for a casual date without seeming completely creepy. I'm also cognizant of the fact that if he doesn't take it well, it could get back to other people in my department. I'm not breaking a rule, but I don't want the gossip. By the way, I'm a woman. So I asked a friend of mine who is often on the show and who is themselves a or who are themselves who's who's also a professor um and their answer was you know basically ask your department chair and uh, only consider asking the student out if there is a zero chance that you could ever have any responsibility for the student in the future. Because, um, like, even though you are not uh, his teacher right now, if there's a chance you could take another class of yours next year, then the answer is and should be no. Um, and so that was some, like, formal advice from a professor. I would also throw out there, you say that, to your knowledge, he doesn't know that you're interested and there's nothing in your letter that suggests that he seems super into you. So, I mean, maybe you're just, maybe you know, I mean, you know the situation better than we do. But um, if he seems to have just totally seen you as a professor, um, it may not be worth the potential fallout and gossip, right? Because, like, if you ask him out, whether he says yes or no, he'll probably tell 
one person in his life, at least. And that one person will probably tell a couple of people, and they will probably be like, did you hear about Professor X? She asked out a student. And, like, again, that's not great necessarily, but, like, if that doesn't seem worth the potential fallout to you, my vote is always going to be air on the side of don't ask out students. But, you know, no risk, no I, reward, I, I guess. I, I agree with the professor, and I agree with Mallory. I mean, I think the only thing I'm, I'm kind of curious about is um, you've clearly identified, like, you know, what are the pitfalls of doing this and what are the negative consequences i guess like is i'm generally kind of curious about you know is this something that graduate students and instructors encounter frequently and are there like standard accepted ways to to like like that you know how to like that people can know how to navigate this is there like a list of rules somewhere that somebody put together I think certainly, and I big disclaimer, I'm not a professor. I don't work at a college. I'm just in a college recording studio right now. Um, it's, <laughs> it's my understanding that if it's a student that you have any sort of institutional authority over, it is not okay to date or sleep with them. Um, I don't know if that means that every institution has rules where like you could lose your job over it or if you would just get, I don't know, like reprimanded but like it's generally considered if if they're a student that you have the ability to like give a grade to or give a ta position to or you know review their dissertation you don't get romantically or sexually involved with them um if they're from another institution or a department that isn't yours um I, i think depending on where you're at it might be more kind of frowned upon but certainly like allowed but basically you know i mean kind of like with work um kind of like with life in general you know if you have the ability to help or hurt somebody's career or future you know educational process that's a real conflict of interest for romance um is my understanding but yeah i mean like i just gotta say like letter writer you say you wouldn't mind getting to know him you want to reach out for a casual date to me that doesn't sound like sufficient escape velocity to start considering former students as potential romantic options. You know, like, I think it's always better to err on the side of a lot of people in the world to date. Why not not date current and former students? And if the strongest thing you feel about him is, oh, I wouldn't mind eating food with him sometime, and I might like to casually go out with him, like, just that that seems like a pretty easy impulse or desire to overcome, right? Yeah. Unless... They're trying to seem more low-key about it than they really feel um, because she doesn't want to seem creepy, which she says she doesn't want to seem creepy. Um, and the best way to not seem creepy is to not ask him out. Number one. Also, I love the language. I realized I wouldn't mind getting to know. Yeah, that to me implies that, like, you are trying a little bit to <laughs> manage your desire, which is, like, you probably realized a little bit more than that, right? Like... Yeah, I mean, it's like, I wouldn't mind, it's, it's, that is like a, you are really trying to desexualize yeah. whatever yeah, feelings look, you Yeah, look, if have I for him. stepped on a bear trap and he stepped on a bear trap and we were both flung into the air and landed at chairs at the opposite side of a table at a very fancy French restaurant, sure, I'd sit and have some steak with him. But, it would be fine. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't and know. I wouldn't cut up the steak. Yeah, I wouldn't cut up the steak. Excellent callback. Yeah, so I would say maybe also be a little bit like clear with yourself. How much do you like this student? Because if the answer is way more than I was willing to say in this letter, then you may decide it is worth the potential fallout. But yeah, I mean, 
uh, I'm going to go the abstinence only route with this and say the only way to make sure that there is no gossip and that people do not talk about you and that nobody thinks that you're creepy is not asking him out. You will have to decide if the possibility of those things happening is worth it to you to go out with him. Because it's certainly, it's not like people are going to run around saying that you're a monster. It's not like you're trying to date an undergraduate who is currently taking your course. Like, no, yeah, but like, it, you know, it's, you already, you already initially recognize, like, I'm sure the letter writer recognizes, like, you know, with like, I don't want the gossip. I feel like that's a, a nice tip of the hat to like all of the justified or not shenanigans that people can talk about. Right. Well, good luck if it's, you know, if it's something that you feel really, really strong about and you do ask him out and it goes well, let us know. And if you decide not to, let us know how that goes too. Um, Noah, those are all the questions that I had for us. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on, Mallory. uh, Thank you so much for being on and for giving such good, uh, remarkably non-dirtbag advice. Um, (laughs) I kind of feel like now we should say something to make up for all that, like... I feel like I should be carving a Stussy S into the desk here. Well, so, I mean, if 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 you want to know whether to catcall the woman outside of the, the liquor store, uh, don't. Okay. Um, Did you remarkably... do that recently? No, I'm just, I, I, I see it uh, not infrequently. And, uh, you know, I, I just, as a bit of like advice on a dirt bag situation. Oh, sure. Um, sure. That's a, that's a thing. Um, if you, uh, speaking from personal experience, uh, if you stand outside a coffee shop and a bird poops on your shoulder, uh, when you go back into the coffee shop, be as gracious as you can about asking for napkins because people do look at you really funny when you've bird crap on your shoulder. Please tell um, me that what you were wearing at the time was like a jean jacket with the sleeves cut off. Uh, I was not. It was a blue varsity jacket kind of looking thing. Also good. And, uh, I like I hadn't this was like my longest period of not shaving. So I had like a really big beard and I was really cautious about like trying to like 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 while I had like bird crap on my shoulder. I was like trying to like 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 go through my beard like I didn't get any shit in here, did I? And um, and so I I did look a little deranged. I will concede. Um, Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. uh, hence hence the, you know, really like intense need for gratitude there, because otherwise uh, I would have also probably not wanted to approach me. Yeah. Noah, thank you. You are a beautiful flower, and I hope that nothing but good things ever happen to you for the rest of your life. Thank you, and same to you, Mallory. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute, tops. If you're looking for more to listen to from Slate, check out the interview podcast, I Have to Ask, hosted by Isaac Chotner. Each week, Isaac brings on newsmakers, celebrities, and cultural icons and asks insightful, pointed, and at times difficult questions. This week, he talks about identity politics with Columbia professor Mark Lilla. Subscribe at slate.com slash have to ask or wherever you get your podcasts.